Hey, what's going on, Kensington? If you've never been here before, my name is Matthias. I'm one of the worship pastors around here. Let's go ahead and stand as we worship Jesus this morning. darkness run and hide you bring the broken back to life only you can only you can you set me free from every chain you fill my heart with songs of praise only you can only you can jesus you're the only reason that i'm even breathing i am wide awake my heart beats only for your glory
alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I met you Come on, you sing it You call my name Come on It's still so surreal that I'm standing here in one of our buildings welcoming you to church. After a long four months, 
here we are. It's the second weekend back together, proudly adorning our homemade quarantine haircuts. Last weekend was one of the biggest reunions I've ever witnessed. Man, we have absolutely missed you, but we're grateful we kept in touch virtually, and we will continue to do so through our website, social media channels, the app, and YouTube. Many of you are still watching Church at Home, probably in your pajamas, and we want to extend a special welcome to you. Now, please know we do not discriminate where, when, or how you engage in church. We respect the decision that is best for your family. All right, guys, I'm about to drop some exciting and creative things happening at Kensington that you're going to want to be a part of. Here we go. During this pandemic, 10 new teams joined our Move Out Network. That's 10 leaders who turned uncertainty into an opportunity to make a difference in their workplaces, communities, neighborhoods, and beyond. These teams are praying for individuals and families to rally alongside them and volunteer their time, passions, and skills. Please go to kensingtonchurch.org slash move out to find out where your heart is pulling you to move out. And while we seek to meet the greatest needs in our local communities, we're also extending a hand to our global partners who are being severely affected by the pandemic. In Nepal, we learned that more than 1,500 people have lost their lives to suicide because of the added complexities of the pandemic piled onto their already difficult daily lives. Also, we learned that many people in Nepal have gone more than five days without a meal. But your generosity has allowed us to release funds to help nourish our friends in Nepal and many other global partners God has given us. So thank you for being a partner as we continue to live out our mission to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. Well, hey, if you have elementary age children, there are two opportunities coming up this summer. Students in kindergarten through grade six are invited to join us for Kaleo Kids' virtual spark camp. It's happening the week of August 10th through the 14th. Students will explore faith and the arts, including dance, music, drama, Monday through Thursday via Zoom alongside other kids just like them. For more information and registration, head to kensingtonchurch.org slash Kaleo. Here's that second opportunity. Keeping up with tradition, we've invited Spring Hill Day Camps back to several of our campuses this summer for our kindergarten through fifth graders. With Bible teachings, high energy group sessions, and activities like archery, bungee trampoline, and crafts, this is something your kid won't want to miss. Register at springhillexperiences.com. One more thing, if you are visiting us for the first time or still pretty new to our community, We'd love to have you introduce yourself. Just text HELLO to 248-781-2771. You can also browse our website at kensingtonchurch.org and you'll find information on just about everything on the Kensington Church app. Thanks for being here with us today. We love you all and we're here for you and we're grateful to be in this together. Morning, Orion. So my name, wow, I got a fan and it's my first time here. That's pretty awesome. All right, for you. You didn't have to clap. That's okay. That's all right. Um, hey, I am, uh, if we haven't met yet, which would probably be most of you because my first time here. I am Craig. Uh, I spend most of my time over the Clinton Township campus where I help out with the teaching there. Also at our central campus in Troy where I direct our church planning efforts. And I think it was probably... 
like a month before the shutdown, uh, Dave and I were talking about me getting out here and spending a week with you guys, and then we shut everything down. So this is like so exciting to be here and spend the morning with you on so many levels. For one, uh, I planted a church over 10 years ago that Kensington was a big part of making happen. Like there would have been no church without this church coming alongside and helping that. But Orion in particular had a really cool part in that whole process. Early on in the experience of planning that church, you guys had just opened up the campus here. And I remember there was a, an invitation to a bunch of us as local church planners to come and hang out and just see physically, you know, it's, I know it's not about a building, but sometimes you get an opportunity to see a physical place like this, how it came out of, was birthed out of a dream and an idea and really a step of obedience that Dave and so many others took. So it was just really cool. It was a moment for me and so many others like me to sit in this place, I think within weeks of you guys opening the doors and just be encouraged ourselves. I mean, we're trying to make, at that point, everything happen with smoke and mirrors, and to be able to sit here and have a picture for our own future by seeing the picture of your future had become a reality was just really encouraging to me. So Kensington has always been, even though I've been new to the team for last year, has always been a very precious place to me, and Orion has had a very unique part in our story and that you were very inspirational for me and so many others like me early on in our journey. So it's just a thrill to be able to be here with you this morning, kick off into the second week of the series that Dave started for us last week. If you were here last week, I don't know, how many of you guys were here last week? I'm just curious. How many of you, this is your first time back in church in months? That's awesome. Welcome back. This is my first time too. I was out of town actually last week. So this is literally my first time. It is, it is so humbling to be able to be back. And I think one of the things I have just been struck with this whole week is what a privilege it is to be a part of the body of God. And to be able to do this and spend mornings like this with people like you. And I know you don't need me to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I feel like I need to say, I didn't say this the first service. I feel like I really need to say it now. You guys have an unbelievable worship team. Like they are, holy smokes. I want to have like a worship off between Orion and Clinton Township. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to work, work that out. But what an incredible time it has been being back here. And uh, last week, I think early on to open things up in the morning, Dave started with a song, just making fun of and having light in the whole pandemic we've been in. I do not have a song for you. As a matter of fact, if I tried to sing, there's a really good chance you would never have me back again. So I will not be doing any singing. But what I would love to do is just, I want to pray and dive back into the series that we've been in. And I'm just really excited to have the chance to, I hope, encourage you with a message that is not, for me, it's not just a message. This is something that is very very close to how God is trying to encourage and I think push me right now in some areas in my life. And I hope you'll feel that for yourself as well. So let me pray and ask him to speak to all of us and grab our hearts. Father in heaven, I am just mindful every time I take a stage like this that the scriptures say that it is you in heaven from whom we all derive our name. And God, scripture is also clear that there will be a day when every single knee will bow and will declare that Jesus is Lord. And so I just, I do that now, to just bow before you now to say, you are, there is a God, you, Jesus Christ, are him, and you have taught us in person and in scripture that you are wildly passionate about us. So this morning, as we open up your word, my prayer is that you would use it to teach us, that you would lean into us in such a refreshing way, that whatever we need to hear from you today, we would hear from you that you would give us ability that is supernatural to be able to see a story so long ago and how it has meaning and point to our lives here and today, and, and maybe especially in the midst of all the crazy that we're living through right now. 
I'm convinced that you're in this place, not because it's a building called the church, but because there's a few of us gathered together who are the church. And your word has told us that we're even just few of us were, even if just two of us were in this room, you would be here in such a uniquely heavy way. And so would we feel your presence? Would we hear your voice? And would more than anything else, would we have the ability to feel your love over us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we go any further, one of the things I do want to do, and and Drew on the video a minute ago, he kind of highlighted to this, is I just want to thank you for your unbelievable generosity in a time that in all honesty, it would be very easy to justify reining in on your resources. And across all of our campuses, it has been the exact opposite. It has just been constant generosity. And you've really enabled us, not just to fulfill our mission, but to go above and beyond it. In a time when our community, our world is hurting, we have been able to serve our neighbors, to serve the world. And it's really only because you believe in what we do in moments like this right here where we give and we are able to open up our hands with what we have. So I want to say, like, Drew, thank you for that. Also, if you're new coming back and you weren't here last week, you may not know this, the giving's gonna look a little bit different for a while. We're not gonna be passing anything around. You can give in some of the usual ways. You can go online. Best would probably be to use our app. You can even text in. When you leave this morning, if you wanna give physically, there will be stations in the back right by the exits and you can do that before you leave as well. We just won't be passing anything. But I wanna thank you because what we do when we give here, my family, your families, when we do this, we, I hope this is true for you. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we get to. And by doing that, it allows us to genuinely be a part of advancing the mission of God throughout this world, his love, his hope, and the person of Jesus. So thank you for how you've helped us do that. So last week, Dave started us off in a series that we're going to be in for a few weeks, looking at the life of Joshua, a couple of key moments in Joshua's life. If you're not very familiar with Bible history, Joshua is a man who picked up leadership on the other side of Moses' life. Moses, even if you have no church background, you probably know him. He's the guy that went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, led the people out of captivity from Egypt. So Moses, and where we're at now in the story, Moses has passed on. He has lived his life. He has passed on this life. Leadership has been handed over to Joshua. Joshua is now tasked with the responsibility of fulfilling the promise that God made to his people through Moses, which was to deliver them to a land of their own, not just out of captivity, but to give them a home of their own, a place of their own. They would become a people of their own. The problem is we're 40 years from that promise, and it has not happened yet. Where we pick up into the story in a few minutes is that today is the day that that promise is fulfilled. But what Dave reminded us of last week, and I just think it's so good, whether you heard it or whether you go back and listen to it and didn't get it yet, what he reminded us is what Joshua stood on in the face and in the midst of so much frustration, so much discouragement, a leadership transition, uh, a promise that's taken too long to come through. Here's what he stood on. The absolute certainty of God's presence, because God had been present with them in the past. Like there was just too many other times throughout Joshua's life where he had seen the presence of God with his people for him to fall victim to doubting that in this moment, this great moment of entering into this new land, that he would then fall victim to doubting God's presence with them still, because he'd seen too many examples of it in the past. And in a way, that's really what the whole series is about. From last week all the way through to the four weeks of the whole series, it's a series about encouraging us to be people that remember. Because here's what some of you, you'll know this the longer you've walked with Jesus, and maybe some of you, you'll even find yourself today that you're in this place in your own life. 
is that the longer we walk with Jesus, the easier it becomes to fall victim to forgetting God's faithfulness in the presence when we forget his faithfulness in the past. You forget what God's been doing for you, what God has done for you, it becomes really easy to fall victim to doubting that he's still with you and doubting he will continue to be with you. And truth be told, for some of us, that's gonna be an easier thing to do than others because some of us, by nature, we're just forgetful. Any honest people this morning, you'd say, yeah, I, I'm totally a forgetful person. Anybody feel like they should elbow the person next to them and tell them to stop lying and put their hand up? Like some of us are just totally forgetful. I don't think I'm a, in general, I don't think I'm a forgetful person. I will tell you the absolute worst moment of forgetting. No, they were, there would be two. One of, both of them involved my wife. One involved forgetting her birthday and the other involved forgetting her name. I won't tell you about the name one until another time. I know, I know. It's a good story though. But her birthday, so we were away a couple years ago visiting some friends in California. I had like vacation brain I, and I never should have forgotten because one, is her birthday. Two, her birthday is July 5th. Like it falls, like there's just no way you should have forgotten, but I did. So we're with our friends, we're hanging out in California, we're on vacation, we get back from dinner one night, we walk into the house, the, the woman who lives there, she walks up, she hits play in the answering machine, and a friend of ours from back here in Michigan, who didn't even know them, I have no idea how she got the number, got the phone number to the house, and all I hear is my friend Jen on the answering machine singing, happy birthday to you. And I'm standing behind my wife, and I'm like, I am going to die. She's going to murder me now. Like, it was a whole, and I've, I've, I, was, I think, you let me get over it after like three years, I believe. <laughs> she let it go. But like, how many of you would admit, did you ever, anybody here ever forget a birthday you shouldn't have forgotten? A couple of you, all right. We'll start a support group. How about an anniversary? Anybody forget an anniversary? All right, how about this one? Anybody ever forget their kids somewhere? <laughs> On purpose, I've done that. Right? I mean, we, listen, the truth is we've all been here and we've all fallen victim to these moments where we've forgotten a date or an important meeting or we've forgotten something we shouldn't have forgotten. But here's the question today. What happens when we forget something that God himself says don't forget? And not only something that he says don't forget, but that he says you must remember this. Because throughout the Bible, there are so many times that God points to things that he says, remember this, remember this. Things like who he is, who we are, whose we are. But probably one of the clearest things throughout the scriptures that God says, do not forget, are the moments that he has showed up and been present in our lives is the work that he has done in us and even the work he has done through us. And while there are times in the scriptures where we're encouraged not to forget his work in our lives, there are equally times that we see throughout the scriptures where there are stories of people who did forget. So we're gonna look at the life of Joshua in just a minute. But before we go to Joshua's beginning of leadership and walking the people into this promise, I actually wanna take you to a time of forgetting that happened with the very same people that he's about to walk across a river and into the promised land. A time at the end of his life when forgetting was detrimental. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, in Timnath, Haris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And watch this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. How does an entire generation of people grow up? An entire generation. And know neither the Lord nor the things that he has done. There's one way. 
And it's the generation before them forgot the stories and stopped telling them. Now, what's interesting about the story we're going to read right now, if you want to get there with me, we're going to be the book of Joshua, chapter 3, is that this very same group of people that forgot, years earlier, God led them through an experience to attempt to try to help them avoid this future moment of forgetting. So Joshua 3, if you're not there, it's early on in the Bible, just a couple of pages in. If you have a physical Bible, I'll give you a minute to get there. And while any of you or some of you are doing that, just quick refresher if you're not familiar with the story. The Hebrew people were slaves for 400 years to Egypt. God comes to Moses, let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, Pharaoh, God said, let them go. He and Pharaoh go toe-to-toe. This is where the plagues happen. At the end of the plagues, there's the miraculous exodus that takes place. Two million some odd people march out of captivity. And when they march out of captivity, they think it's going to be an instantaneous reward of their own place, their own land. And instead, they move into 40 years of wandering in the desert, primarily as a result of their own disobedience to God. 40 years they have waited. Now is the day, though. Like, this is the moment that that 40 years finally ends. And this is what we read, chapter 3, verse 5. So Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I love this. Like they sense it. They can taste it. They know it. Like tomorrow they're looking, they're going, that land is ours. Tomorrow's the day. The only problem with tomorrow is that on the other side of 24 hours, there's also a river that they have to cross. If you know the story at all, then you know this, that there's a river in front of them called the Jordan River, and they have to get to the other side of the Jordan River, which is where the land that God has told them he's going to give them resides. Now, whenever I've heard the story in the past, usually growing up and, and even in more recent years, for some reason in my head, I always pictured, like when I picture a river, I picture rivers I'm accustomed to like this. Like that's what I picture. And I always think like, what's the big deal of a miracle? Like parting that, just get across that, build a quick bridge across. Like that doesn't seem like a very miraculous thing necessarily. The problem is that's not biblical. And some of you know this. If you skip over to verse 15 of chapter three, it says this. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. This isn't a calm river at the moment. This is actually a river at the peak of its flooding season. And this is a river that even when it's not flooding is already a strong river. Its source flows from a mountain whose peak is 9,000 feet above sea level and flows into the Dead Sea, which is 1,400 feet below sea level, which means at any point, this is a strong river. But here's a better representation of the actual Jordan River during a flood season. That's probably much more similar to what they were looking at when God said, your promise, it's on the other side of that river and we're gonna get across it together. And, and I don't know about you, but I was even looking at this picture this last week and I was thinking, that's an awful lot like what 2020 has felt like to me. Like standing on the edge of that and it's like, I don't know how in the world we're gonna get through this. And God says, that's exactly what we're getting through. I'm gonna take you across it. So now you got a better picture in mind of what it is that God says you have to get through. Here's what happens. Verse 8. God says to Joshua, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words the Lord your God has said. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Ugh. 
See that the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. I love this. He says, see that the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He's making sure they realize, I'm not just God of some things. I'm God of everything, of all the earth. And he goes on and he says, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, and he reminds them again, the Lord of all the earth, it's almost as if to say, hey, you see all that chaos in front of you? It's part of the earth. What am I the Lord of? The earth. It's mine. I control it. He says, the Lord of all of the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. One of my favorite promises and moments in this whole passage is that right there. Where God says to them, the minute you just step foot into those waters, they will stop. But you have to step foot in them. And part of what makes that so important is the detail in which they're carrying the ark. If you don't know anything about the ark, the ark is this sacred box that pre-Jesus, Jesus, now God dwells in us, but pre-that, God's presence dwelling with his people at this time was in this sacred box. And because it was his presence, there was all kinds of instructions, including don't drop it, don't touch it, even if you're about to drop it, don't grab it to stop it, because if you do, you will die. Now, metaphorically, like heart stops, you're done. So, so this is absolutely an imperative moment that you don't lose your footing when you're carrying this. And here's what I love so much. And, and maybe for some of us, it'll be the most important thing you'll hear this morning. This is what God says to his people. Trust me and step into those waters while they rage and before they're calm. Because some of us have a tendency to want to step towards things that we feel God nudging us towards when it all looks safe when it all looks predictable, when it looks like it's going to work out. And what God has a tendency to do is to say, no, you step into the chaos, and when you do, then it calms. And he says to his people, trust me, step in. But you think about that, you're carrying the ark, you can't lose your footing, and those waters are what you're about to step into? Listen to me, the very first step these people took was an absolute, complete step of faith. The very first, forget everything else that's in front of them. There's gonna be wars, nations against them, cities that will try to overthrow them. Forget all of that. This very first step, literally, that is an enormous step of faith that they're being asked to take. And yet, here's what's mind-boggling to me. It's just a step. It's just one single step that they're being asked to take. How many of you know this? God has this tendency of ushering in some of his greatest work in us, through us, and around us as a result of us simply taking a step. One step of faith. One of the ways that I got myself through college years ago was waiting tables at Outback Steakhouse. And when I was at Outback, I met a guy named Jeremy. Ended up becoming one of my best friends working there. And there was this point where we were working together. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was going to be a long shift of a day, and I just felt this nudge from God. And some of you have felt this before, where I just felt like God said, bring me up in conversation. Bring me up. And I know sometimes the thought is that people that do what I do, stand on stages, teach the Bible, pastors and preachers, is that those moments are always easy. They're not. I would, I would assume that they're probably as difficult for me as they are for most of you. I don't want to be looked at as the weird guy, the weird religious guy. You know, I fumble a lot when I try to do that. I get awkward sometimes. I say the wrong thing. I don't know how to answer a lot of questions. So I'm here. I'm in the restaurant. We're about to open the doors. Jeremy and I are good friends. We've never had a single conversation about spiritual things. And I feel God go, bring me up. And just nudging me, bring me up. 
And I'm like, oh man, okay. So I started thinking like, what would I say and how do I say it? And I just felt like God kind of put this thought into my head where I felt like he said, I just want you to ask him this question. Do you know God personally? I'm like, okay, I gotta ask him that. And so I'm like, I'm like having this conversation with God while I'm, while I'm working at this restaurant. So finally I'm like, all right, I feel the nudge. So I walk up to him and we're just chatting for a few minutes and right in the middle of like some other odd random conversation, I go, hey, do you know God personally? He's like, I'm like, oh man, I'm that guy. And he's like, uh, does anybody? And so, but what was so cool is it started this whole conversation between us that ended going up for days and days and days during our shifts, little bits here, little bits there. That led to my wife and I meeting his girlfriend at the time, Jen. That led to the, the four of us becoming good friends. That led to them coming to church with us. They ended up giving their lives to Jesus. They got married. They were the first wedding I ever officiated. They, they've since had three kids. They've raised those kids to love Jesus. They have baptized all of their kids. They've been a part of leading friends and family members to faith in Jesus. Uh, even a few years ago, Jeremy quit his job for a season as a police officer, moved his whole family overseas to India where they helped with his three kids in tow and his wife helped rescue men, women, and children out of human trafficking. And today he's some of our dearest friends. And, and I wonder sometimes, what would have happened if I wouldn't have taken that one step? and just fumbled my way through a conversation. I felt God said, take the step. And I'm like, God, those are raging waters. He's like, take the step and just watch what I do. So the Israelites take the step. And here's what happens next as they do. It says in verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It had piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathon, while the waters flowing down to the Dead Sea were completely cut off. And so the people crossed over to the opposite side of Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed on dry ground. Other places in the Bible, like the book of Numbers, the 26th chapter, gives us an idea of how many people we're talking about. It accounts for households through numbering men, and it says it's somewhere up in the $600,000 range, 600,000 person range, on dollar, which means a conservative estimate of people is over 2 million people. Do you know how long it takes me to get my family of five in the car to go anywhere? This is two and a half million people crossing the river. And here's what's interesting about a group that size. And you know this, because we've been in traffic jams and we've been in lines. The longer a line gets, the more impossible it is to see what's in front of you. You're crossing into territory that's not yours. That's not usually a welcome thing. Hey, welcome, come on in. It's seen as an invasion. It's met with force, which means if you're several people back, several miles back. You have no idea what's waiting for you on the other side of this river. And yet all two and a half million of them passed without hesitation, even though they had no idea what was waiting for them on the other side, because they knew who was waiting for them on the other side. You and I, we may not have much idea yet what's on the other side of all this craziness that we're living in right now, but we know who is on the other side of it. The God who the scriptures say, goes with us, goes behind us, and even somehow supernaturally goes before us. But if we are to understand and experience everything I think God has in store for us on the other side, I believe it's imperative that we do what they did. 
and we figure out what is the step that God's asking us to take. I'll have three questions for you today before I'm done, and that's the first one. What is the simple step of faith that God's asking you to take in your life right now? And some of you might know. Maybe there has been a sense that there's something God's been nudging you towards for a while. Maybe it's a habit to step away from. Maybe it's a step in your marriage, a step with your kids. Maybe it's a step towards an opportunity God's putting in front of you. Maybe it's just a step towards him. Maybe this whole church thing is still very new for you. Maybe it's new enough for you that you haven't even come into doors yet. You're still watching online, not so much because of the pandemic, but because you're just not sure you want to be in a building yet. You're not sure that you want to be around other religious people yet. Maybe, maybe you've stepped in here and this is all still new for you, this experience. Maybe the step is to continue to step towards him for all the questions that you may have and all the doubt that may still be there. But what's the step? Because for some of us, maybe I could even go out on a limb and say, I would venture to say all of us. I think that there are things that God wants to do in us and things that God wants to do through us that we will not experience if we wait for the waters to calm. But the waters will calm when we start to step. And so the people take their step, and then after they've crossed over, there's something else that God instructs the people to do that I think is important for us to take note of and do ourselves. Chapter four, if we go back to the passage, starts this way. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among you, the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you're staying tonight. Verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that he had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over it. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. A couple years ago, my wife started a habit and a tradition that's a little bit like what God just instructed his people to do. Every time we go on a trip, whether it's her and I getting away or our whole family getting away, she has this habit of finding either a stick or a stone or sometimes both that just for her catch her eye and they become like these mementos, these memories of the trip we were on. I have a, I have a picture of some actually. This is our window ledge in our kitchen. Like the top one there, this was Sleeping Bear Dunes in 2017. And so we, we have stuff like that all around our house that just remind us of these precious moments that we've had as a family that you know, like as years go on, they're so easy to forget until you remember by looking at these moments. Here's my next question to you this morning. How will you remember the things that God has done and is doing and will do in your life? Like how will you remember? Because remembering has to be an intentional act. It's a lot easier often to forget than it is to remember if we're not intentional about it. And so even in our family, we've tried to take this act of remembering our vacations and turn it into a spiritual practice as well. This is a more recent thing that we just started doing, but I had this thought in this last couple of months, it just dawned on me that there's all these things throughout the course of my life and my wife's life, these moments that God has showed up. Like some of them are really big moments that literally feel like he just parted waters. And others are more simple, but they're just moments where we know God showed up in our lives, God showed up in mine, or God showed up in hers. And it hit me, like my kids don't know a lot of these moments. Like we just haven't shared a lot of those stories, some of them, but not all of them. So we started keeping this, 
jar on our table. It sits actually on the same window ledge as those stones. And there's a stack of three by five cards. And occasionally, every now and then, when I just think of something, I'll write a word down or a sentence that's representative of a story, like, like rollover accident, dad. And I put my name on there. And every now and then, during dinner, we'll pull it out, and I'll have one of my kids take out one of those cards. And go, uh, dad, this one's yours. It says rollover accident. And then I could tell them this story of a time that God showed up in our lives, something that he did. And we're trying to really do this, to have these moments where we remember. Because it will be far easier for us to forget than to remember. And when we forget the stories of God, we will fall victim to the very same thing that we read at the beginning of this morning, the potential of an entire generation growing up and not knowing the Lord or the great things that he has done. So my question is, how will you remember? And I think it's important to note as well that remembering isn't just for your benefit alone. You remember Joshua said to the people, when people ask you in the future, hey, what do these stones mean? Tell them this story. One of the things I love about the language when you dive into the scriptures here, the Hebrew language that this portion of the Bible is written in, there's a word in the Hebrew language used for stones. It's the word mesavat. And in the word mesavat, stones, literally just became this like shortened, condensed way of asking a question when you saw these stone structures piled up like this one here. It was a question. What happened here? So mesavat, what happened here? It literally became a question. So my wife and I, we've lived in the house that we're in right now for about 10 years. And when we first moved into that house, one of the first things that we noticed, even my daughters who were three at the time and my son, I think was seven, was this beautiful silver maple tree in the backyard, like huge, this awesome tree. And I think it was my son that pointed out first. He goes, Dad, that's a treehouse tree. I'm like, oh, we're totally building a treehouse in there. Year one went by, year two went by, year three went by. I think we were like year five or so. And I overheard him talking to a friend of his. And this is what he says. He goes, yeah, my dad said he was going to build a tree house in that tree. He probably never will. And I was like, oh, that's a counseling bill one day. So I'm like, I'm going to get ahead of that one. So I decided like right then and there, I'm like, dude, we are building a tree house in this tree. So we set out to build a tree house. The problem is, it is that tree is right on the edge of the property line that I share with my neighbor. So I cannot tell you how many times he came up to me during the project while I'm up the tree. He's like, so... <laughs> What's going on here? And he has continued to ask that question afterwards because it turned out to be a little bit bigger than any of us thought it was going to be. Here's the, I have a picture of the start of the project. So that's the tree. We're up there. We're trying to figure out how do we do this. Fast forward. Here's the end of the project. Yeah, it's so awesome. It was very cool. And I love it. And here's what I love about it is that I get to tell the story every time anybody comes over about that tree house. Because one of the things I intentionally did is decided nobody else is helping me with this except Tobin because I want my story to be my son and I did this and we did it alone and we did. And I love sharing the story of how that happened. Listen, no matter how much God does in your life, if you don't create intentional ways to remember, you will start to forget. And when you forget, you'll stop telling the story. And when you stop telling the stories, it will be not only to your own detriment, but to that of those around you that need to hear. So I want to show you one more thing with the treehouse. This just goes to underscore how quickly we forget. So my daughters, this was, I think, I don't think it was more than eight days later. I go out into the backyard and I captured a video of my eight days after we built that structure. This is what I found my daughters doing. Check this out. Hey, girls. Hey, why did you build this? little structure out of pallets that I had left over. Because we wanted a fort to play in. 
Because you wanted a what? A fort to play in. You wanted a fort to play in. Huh. Too bad you didn't have anything like that previously built. Okay. Just just wanted to double check. Y'all enjoy your fort. Love ya. <laughs> they yelled at me afterwards when I stopped recording that. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. It's eight days later and now you, you already have forgotten. Here, what was so cool though in that moment, like, cause I genuinely, I walked away for a minute. I was like, you ungrateful little girls. I was so frustrated. I was like, I feel like hurt. My wife was even teasing me. She's like, yeah, the kids will love the treehouse, right? I'm like, Mur. And so I have this moment where I'm literally like, I'm upset, I'm a little frustrated, and I just have this thought. I'm like, you know what? The most important thing that was just built over the last few months actually wasn't that structure. It was relationship. And in a way, Tobin, my son, was built. And I was built. And we, together, were built. And, and one day, I hope, and he's in this room right now, so by saying I hope, it means you better remember this point. One day, I hope that the story he tells will not just be, I had a really cool treehouse. I hope the story that he tells, and I think the story he'll tell, is my dad and I. My dad and I. We built a treehouse, and we did it together. In the New Testament, one of the disciples of Jesus named Peter would take this idea of Masavat and stones and remembrance to an entirely different level that has so much meaning for you and I today that it's where I want to end. Peter would say this in the first chapter of his book, second chapter, I'm sorry, first Peter, second chapter, fourth verse. As you come to him, the living stone, so him is Jesus. Peter's writing about Jesus, and I love that how he says, as you come to him, the living stone. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't you miss that as we as a people have become accustomed to the stones making us go, what happened here? Jesus is the living stone that should make all of us go, what happened here? At the cross, what happened here? At the empty tomb, what happened here? It is compassion and grace with people. What happened here that we would be drawn to him? And Peter says, when that happens, watch, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Because of Jesus, we have an ability to have an actual legitimate relationship with God. And in that relationship, God now does his best building and his best work, not around us, but in us, so that we would actually become these stones. Peter says living stones that people would look at our lives and say, Masavat, what happened here? And give us the chance to tell the story. The great story of redemption as well as the stories of God at play in our own personal lives. That's why I think the most important question maybe of the day is the final question, and it's this, who will you tell? Who will you tell and how? Because in all the things that God is up to right now, and in all that he's going to do as a result of these crazy times that we're living in, I'm promising you this. It is not a work that is simply out there somewhere, but it is about a work he's trying to do in here. It is not about structures and buildings and regatherings. It is about relationship with you and him, building you and I into these living stones, that we would live lives that would make people go, what happened here? so that we could tell his story. Because in the end, 
It will not be gatherings and regatherings and buildings or some new normals that God will use to display his glory and tell his story. It will be you and I. It will be us. So we have a video this morning of three really powerful stories of three people that call Kensington home and the ways that God has worked in their lives, some grand, some small, but for all of them, they are their moments of stones. And as they recount them, they're sharing them in a way that I think will encourage us all. Check it out. Throughout my life, I've struggled with anxiety and control and codependency, and a lot of this was a result of growing up in a home where my dad struggled with alcoholism. Um, my parents divorced when I was young due to his addiction, and I worked very hard throughout my life to give the perception that his addiction hadn't affected me. When my dad passed away in 2005, he had begun going to a Celebrate Recovery in his area, and it's there that he had found grace and hope and came to know the Lord as his personal savior. So I had great comfort in that when he died and I went, uh, I had to go clean out his belongings. And in those moments of cleaning out his belongings, I saw a pile of his coins that he had received throughout his time that he had um, gone to AA. And when I looked at the pile, all I saw was failure and disappointment and how um, it had robbed him of his life. And I threw them away. I went home with great peace knowing he was with the Lord, um, but I realized I had processing to do relating to his life and his death, but I didn't know where to go. I was scared to open up to people. The church that I was attending at the time was looking into launching a Celebrate Recovery and they had done a video trying to get volunteers to, to meet up. And I remember watching that video and my heart was absolutely pounding out of my chest that I knew that that was where I was supposed to give back. A ministry that had saved my dad's life, that he came to know the Lord in such a tangible way. I knew that that was where he was calling me. So I found myself in a step study through Celebrate Recovery. Um, it was a place I never imagined myself to be. I went trying to get a better understanding of my dad and his addiction and to, I want to give back. I wanted to give back to help people and just to do something to honor my dad's memory. When the step study had completed, we met for a celebration and we were given coins to honor and acknowledge what we had completed. I went up on stage in front of a, you know, multiple strangers and accepted the coin. And I remember thinking the irony of it, that I had thrown away these coins of my dad's and now here I am beginning to work on my own recovery and acknowledging the pain and hurt that the addiction had left in my life. Through Celebrate Recovery, God has continued to reveal areas in my life that I need to trust him with and I have a front row seat of seeing change in people's lives, and it's the greatest honor. I was um, struggling after uh, my divorce and um, was having some issues with alcohol, making a lot of bad choices, kind of isolated myself from my family. About three years ago, um, I got pulled over for a headlight being out, and I had been drinking, and um, I got pulled over and was um, arrested for DUI. Um, and, you know, it was really at that point I even told um, the officer that pulled me over. First, I thanked him. Um, and 
you know, he kind of was shocked and he said, why? And I said, because, you know, after my divorce, alcohol has become, you know, the, the devil for me. And I really just, you know, needed this to happen to help me get away from this. And, and I haven't drank since then. You know, I've been sober for over two years. And, you know, it was really just the, the start right there of um, me accepting where my challenges were not relying on the things that happened to me in the past as an excuse anymore or a crutch. So I wanted to get plugged in um, at Kensington through the different groups that they offered. One of the options was Bible Basics. About six weeks into Bible Basics, it, there was a, a moment where um, our leader, Thaddeus, was asking each of us what we thought faith was. And um, once we all explained what we thought our, what faith was to us, I did ask Thaddeus um, in front of the group what faith was to him, and Thaddeus explained that faith was an allegiance to Jesus to him. Um, it was really at that, that moment that night, I went home, I uh, got down on my knees and prayed to the Lord. I um, repented for my sins, I asked for forgiveness. So fast forwarding uh, a couple years since uh, I turned my life over to Jesus, I've actually led three Alpha groups since then. Um, I'm very active in uh, my COVID response. I actually got married um, to uh, my beautiful wife, Dana. And um, my career, I've gotten a new career and that's been excellent the last year and a half. I've been promoted a couple times. But most importantly, um, where I'm finding my peace and is, is the purpose that God has laid out for me. The spiritual battle of worthlessness or rejection or whatever spiritual battle someone is struggling with, it feels like a tape recording in your mind. It's like the enemy plants a thought in your head and you accept it as true. And so you continue to tell yourself, well, yeah, I'm worthless or nobody chooses me or nobody loves me. And any circumstance that you have, you see it through that lens. And when you're free of that, it's probably similar to people who didn't realize that they had an eyesight problem and get glasses, and they see the world through different eyes. I got the opportunity to go on a mission trip with Kensington to Nepal, and I met this wonderful group of women that were going to go, and I was super excited, but still struggled with, oh my goodness, are they going to like me? Am I going to be too much for them? And then on a mission trip, you do something that's called a timeline where you talk about the highs and lows of your life. And so it came to be the night of my turn and I had to share and it was really hard. It was a little bit awkward, but I went deep. I decided to go deep and I think I sobbed the whole way through it. But I got to have these seven women speak into me and talk about if they were in a room full of 100 people, that they would choose me because I was lovable and an amazing person. And it was just this beautiful moment. And I feel like God had been chasing me and wanting me to deal with this for years. But I just held up my hand to him and said, I don't have time to fall apart, God. I don't have time to deal with this. So, you know, put a pin in it and we'll get to it. And he took me to Nepal. Uh, he chased me to Nepal so he could catch me and free me from this feeling of worthlessness. And the most amazing thing happened. I developed these really tight-knit relationships with these women. 
and they poured into me and I got to be authentic and real and they would cho they chose me then and we are still friends to this day and um, I came home from that trip free. I love that idea. She says, he took me to Nepal to catch me, to get me. This is why it's so important to remember. And, and I don't know if you've had a thought even of how you could maybe do that. I just, can I give you one if you haven't? Maybe you go home today and you, you get a rock from somewhere and you write two words that represent two things. One word is just a moment that God has shown up and done something in your life. And, and maybe it wasn't as grand as waters parting. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a simpler moment, but it's just a moment that you know. Like, this is a moment that the God of creation showed up in my life for me. And write a word on that rock that represents it. And then somewhere else, write another word that represents a step of faith that you know God's asking you to take this year, or this week, or this day. But something that you know in your heart that God is nudging you towards saying, this is the step. And I know the waters are crazy in front of you, but this is the step. Trust me, trust me. And maybe, maybe you do it as a family. Maybe if there's five of you in the family, there ends up being 10 words on the stone. But maybe as a family, you even start to make a practice of this. Maybe it becomes your, your 2020 stone of remembrance and stepping. But if we're not intentional, we'll forget. We'll forget the stories and we'll stop telling. Which is why I think the most important thing of the whole morning is the telling part. Even last night when I was going over this and I was getting ready and I, I just read that, that line again and, and just that question I knew I wanted to ask you today, like, who will you tell? Like, and how will you tell them? Like, I really felt like God pressed into me the thought, like, who will you tell, Craig? Who will you tell? And immediately he brought a name to mind. And you might be thinking, man, I could go out of here right now and go tell 10 people. You could, maybe you should. But I think that God often brings people, specific people, specific person into our lives for the reason that he wants us to be the living stone that tells the story, that there is a God, Jesus is his name, and he is wildly passionate about all of us. Last night, I know God told me who that person is. And it's a person who I've been developing a friendship with for years, but I've never taken it to that next level like I did with Jeremy, and I know it's time to do that. So who will you tell? Remember, we started with an entire generation that forgot because there was an entire generation that stopped telling. We're gonna sing a song as we close right now that is all about this desire and cry for God's blessing to be given down to our families generation after generation after generation. But here's the truth. For that to happen, we must keep telling the stories, remembering what God has done, stepping where he tells us to step, and telling the story, we must be, as Peter says, living stones, living in such a way that it requires that the people around us say, what happened here that we could tell the story of our great God, whose name is Jesus, who's wild about us all. So as you sing this song, here's what I would ask you to do. Sing it with two kind of efforts, if you will, two outpours. One is a cry for God's blessing, and one is a commitment to be these living stones.
his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord bless you.
just ridiculously awesome. That, so that's a thought I want you to take through the rest of the week, at least through the rest of the day. There is a God, his name is Jesus, and he is for you. I don't care what you have in your background or in your own head right now that would tell you something different, it's a lie. Because I have a man from 2,000 years ago that died to prove that he is for you. Who was more than a man, he was the God who made you. He is for you. He is for you. He's for you. Do you believe that today? He's for you. Thank you for letting me spend the morning with you, for being with you today. A couple of things as you walk out. Just a reminder, if you wanted to give, you have a chance to do that in the baskets on the way out. There is also the opportunity for you to be prayed for this morning. Sometimes there's things that just stir. And, and you don't know what to do with it, but just leaving right away doesn't feel like the right thing. So if we can listen, encourage you, pray with you, pray for you, there's a team of people directly behind you in this open door room. They're back there to pray with you, to listen to you, just to encourage you. So let them do that. I also just want to thank you too. Listen, I know these mask things are weird right now. And uh, I just want to thank you for being with us in this weirdness and trying to figure it all out, to being with us in this fight, to being with us. So for wearing them today, for some of you that were in it, for some of you that just did it anyways, to all of you, just thank you for being in this with us as we journey through these crazy times because our God has something on the other side and he's leading us to it and we're gonna get there together. You all are greatly loved and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye.